as our choir is finding the seats, uh, we are going to be talking about this morning something that is very spiritual. It's called speed bumps. You know what speed bumps are, don't you? Those things that make you slow down in the parking lot. And uh, we've actually put some in the front of our church to keep people from zooming through the front of it. And some people love it, some people don't. But hey, speed bumps do what they're supposed to do, right? Slow people down. Well, now, speed bumps are actually fun if you're young. If you're a child and you ride a bus or a van or anything that's got any kind of long wheelbase, and if your driver is, is cool enough, he'll get right up to that speed bump and goose the back end. And, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I remember, you know, it's probably not safe, but I remember my head, like, touching the top of the, of the bus. I mean, you know, the cool bus drivers would goose it. The other ones, you know, we just... We would put up with them, but uh, some of you that... Uh, was I the only one that enjoyed that? Okay, Ross and I, yeah. Ross and I are in the same uh, boat here. But speed bumps are fun when you're young, but they're not so much fun when you're older. Especially when uh, you see them and you're cruising along and you think it's just going to be a little bump and then before you know it, you think your front end's going to fall out from under you. Or the other ones that... Uh, uh, just kind of creep up on you. Well, the speed bumps we're talking about today are opposition. Nehemiah's vision from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem got underway in chapter 4 as we study it today of Nehemiah. And his followers were moving bricks and sticks to help complete the vision that Nehemiah had to rebuild the walls. And folks, any time we attempt to stand in God's will our lives, there will be opposition. Anytime we choose to draw the line in the sand and say, yes, God, I will serve you, you mark my words, a speed bump is ahead of you. Well, the opposition becomes speed bumps to slow down our momentum. Do not let them stop you this morning, folks. God will use the speed bumps in your life, the opposition that you're having today, those trials that you're dealing with today. God will use those speed bumps to glorify himself and to cause growth in your life today. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word tells us plainly that, Lord, if we stand for you, there is going to be opposition. And when that opposition comes, Lord, may we embrace it and not run away from it, Lord, because these speed bumps are placed in our lives to teach us dependence upon you. For it's in your name we pray. Eight to one. Amen. Speed bumps are ultimately good for us. You say, well, how in the world can they be good for us? Well, Romans 8.28 puts it this way. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good. And when it says the good, it doesn't mean to make it pleasant. It means the ultimate good. The Bible is clear that God knows what's better for us than we even know ourselves. And so... Everything works together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, people use this verse all the time to, to make people think that, well, you know, whatever happens in your life, God's got a reason. Yes and no. If it is according to God's purpose, yes. But if you've got sin in your life, Excuse my French, but God ain't using it to glorify him. God doesn't use sin 
to glorify himself or to get his work done. For those of us that are called according to his purpose, that get online with what God is doing, everything, even the bad things, will also become things that will grow us and ultimately be for our good. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without a trial. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned, but he was tried and tempted in every way. You think that God cannot understand where you are this morning? My friend, you are wrong because Jesus has been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, died on the cross, and raised for our sins. He knows your every need. Amen? There is nothing that you can go. He knows the pain of losing loved ones. He knows the pain of being oppressed. He knows the pain of having best friends turn their back on him. He knows what it means to give to somebody who doesn't appreciate it. He knows what it means to forgive people that will not forgive him. He knows all of these things. Whatever situation you are in this morning, I promise you, Jesus has been there. And these things that are in your life that are oppositions, that are speed bumps for you to slow down and to get over are meant to be for your good if you are doing what God has called you to do. Well, let's look at some of the speed bumps this morning that are found in Nehemiah chapter 4. The first speed bump we see is a speed bump called ridicule. Ridicule, making fun of somebody doing what God has called them to do. They use ridicule in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. It reads like this. When Sambalit heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men, which the men of Samaria was actually, it meant the army of Samaria. And he said, what are these, not what are these Jews doing, what are these pathetic Jews doing? He was laying it on, wasn't he? He felt really good about himself. Well, it says, can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they are building, he would break down the stone wall. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return to their own heads, and let them be taken as plunder to land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight, because they have provoked you. In front of the builders. So Nehemiah is saying, God, you have got this. They are opposing you. They are talking about us. May you please deal with them. Folks, you might think you know how to deal with people, especially when people have done you wrong and when people have ridiculed you. But I I want you to understand, God can deal with them much more effectively than we ever can. Because that's what he's called us to do, to give us our strife to give him our burdens, to give him our hopes, when people make fun of us, to, to understand that these men were upset at what God was doing in Nehemiah's life. 
And there will be times when you serve God and you get serious with God that people are going to ridicule you. It says in verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had the will to keep working. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah to say, Oh, no, no, you did not say that. And start getting into a war of words and then call, Hey, put your, put your hammers down. Put, put your chisels down. Come over here. Let, let's, let's tell them what we really think. We call that drama. It would have been easy for them to give in to that. But Nehemiah was focused. And this speed bump would not become something to stop his work, but it became something to inspire his work. If anybody has told you when you're doing something for the Lord that you'll never amount to something, you remember this verse. Don't focus on that. If people say that your life that, that you have, have reached your prime and now just kind of live out the rest of your years? No. God is not done with you. When people say that, oh, Homeland Bab- Park Baptist Church, I tell you what, any time I go out in public, it seems like everybody has either been baptized in this church or came to this church one time. Am I right? I'm telling you. I mean, everywhere. And then now we look around and we think, well, maybe the Lord is done. And there will be people on the outside. I've had people say, why are you going to that church? That ain't going to grow. Have you seen the community it's in? I'm like, really? Okay. You say that. I'm going to keep working. People might tell you that. But what I'm telling you, church, keep working. God has got the naysayers. And people are only ridicule what they're threatened by, or what they're insecure of. Do not let ridicule paralyze you. Lost people of this world do not understand that God delights in the feeble instruments that God uses to work to get his accomplishment. When Samblet was calling the Jews feeble, that's a compliment! People say, oh, you're only a Christian because you use that Christianity as a crutch. Absolutely all day long because I have been in situations where I could not stand on my own and the only thing that kept me up was a crutch. Is my relationship with the Lord a crutch? Absolutely. And he carries me every day. I don't have time for ridicule. I don't have time for small-minded people that don't have a, a, uh, a vision for what God is doing to sit back and critique what I'm doing. And you shouldn't either. God's given you a purpose. God has given you a plan. Stick to it and rule out the naysayers. That, will, that speed bump will turn into an opportunity of growth because non-believers of this world, they give weight to wealth and power, do they not? And even in Baptist circles, you know how preachers do this? They'll go to a convention, and I've been there and I've seen this, Say, hey, brother, how you doing? Where are you pastoring at? Really? What you running in Sunday school? What you running in worship service? Oh, you are? I'm running way above that. Okay, great. If we have one, I am happy. If there is one person that is going to praise the Lord, if there is one person that will pick up a shovel with me and with our leadership and say, let's build this, it will be worth it. Just one. Lo and behold, if we have a team of workers to do that, 
because the world gives weight to wealth and power. But believers of God's kingdom, we embrace our weakness. It's okay to say, I cannot do it on my own. Then that's when God says, okay, let me help. Speed bumps are evidence that God is blessing and giving opportunities for us to grow. The, the struggles Nehemiah and his people endured brought out the best in them. Nehemiah was focused, was he not? But the speed bump of ridicule is actually an attack of the devil. You realize that, right? Sambalit was allowing the devil to use him in his speech. Just as you are determined, I want you to know that there are forces and there are people just as determined to work against you. Paul calls it spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. Attack, being attacked by the devil if you're doing the Lord's work is not a possibility. It's not like when you watch the weather and they say, oh, it's a 20% chance of precipitation today. I'm telling you what, if you are working for the Lord's purpose, the chance of rain in your life, the chance of opposition is a hundred percent. But don't, don't pull back from that. It's a confirmation you're doing what God wants you to do. It's not a speed bump to hold you down, but it is a speed bump to confirm that you are doing what the Lord has called you to do because attack is imminent. And you know what ridicule is? Ridicule is the language of the devil. Ridicule is the language of the devil that he uses against us when we try to take a stand. Ridicule attacks our very support in an attempt to make us collapse and fail. I mean, you take, maybe you were a sports person or maybe in your work you did something and maybe it wasn't the best move. Maybe it wasn't the best decision to make. And someone kind of made fun of you about that. That probably never happened to you, but I've had a few times where that's happened. And if you're not careful, it shakes your confidence to where you say, well, I'm never going to do that again. You know, you're in a meeting, you give an idea, and everybody goes, oh, that is so dumb. Where did you come up with that? What have you just taught that person? Never to say a thing in that meeting again. Ridicule is the language of the devil. Sandblit had three questions if you go back and look at those verses. The first question he had is, can they restore it by themselves? What was he really asking when he asked that? I'll tell you what he was asking. He was asking, by what means do you think you will have protection? You're working on this wall. We've got armies all around here. How do you expect to be protected while you're working? Folks, there's no promise that when we do the Lord's work that there won't be casualties. There is no promise that there won't be pain. But there is promise that it will be God's purpose, whatever it may be. Second thing you ask them is, will they offer sacrifices? This actually means that it will take more than prayer and worship services to rebuild these walls. Folks, we can lift our hands and we can run laps and we can do everything that our full gospel brethren do. But if we are not going out into the world and putting sticks and bricks on the wall, if we are not doing God's purpose, 
it is all for naught. The third question is, will they ever finish it? It means the Jews had overestimated their strengths and underestimated their vision at hand. It is certain they will quit before they are finished. It's like I've said before when uh, I was over in uh, Jamaica one time, and uh, they had all of these homes that had rebar. They were like one floor, and then the second floor was nothing but rebar. And I asked the guy, when are they going to finish the homes? And the the guy driving the taxi said, oh, no, they don't finish these homes. They, They run out of money. I'm like, wow. They didn't count the cost before they built the house. And the problem is, is that there are so many churches that have been trying to rebuild the walls. Then all of a sudden they start to fight or have a split or to give in to ridicule. And there are churches, maybe not physically, but spiritually, have broken walls all, all the way around. But they're not rebuilding them. So we've got to stay focused. The second speed bump we see is intimidation. We see that in verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9 says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arab, Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and the gaps were being closed, they became furious. So even though they ridiculed the work, it was still getting done. You want to tick off somebody that doesn't believe in the Lord? Be faithful to what the Lord is doing in your life. If you want to show somebody that says, uh, this church or your life will never amount to anything, show them not by fighting with them with words. Do what the Lord has called you to do. We see here that they became furious in verse 8. What happens when the ungodly become furious and they cannot get their way individually? We see here the next thing they do. They plot. They have secret meetings. They have a phone tree. They have all of these things to to start working against what the Lord is doing. And and here we see Sambalit and all of his, his friends, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. If you are confused about what the Lord is doing in your life, here is something you can take to the bank. God is not the author of confusion. You can write that down. God is not the author of confusion. If you are confused, you're focusing on the wrong things. That's what Sanballat and his men were trying to do. Take this organized team and throw it into chaos and confusion. In verse 9 it says, So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them night and day. What I want you to see here is that overwhelming opposition makes way for an overpowering God. Overwhelming opposition. When it seems like you cannot carry on and you are threatened and you cannot take one more day, one more brick, one more swing of the hammer, one more whatever it may be, and you are overwhelmed, understand that God is overpowering. Intimidators, they always protect their power base. And that's what Samuel was doing here. Nehemiah and his workers were surrounded. 
They had Sanballat and the Samaritans on the north wall. On the east wall, they had Tobiah and the Ammonites. On the south wall, they had Geshem and the Arabs. And then on the west wall, they had the Ashadites. They were overstating their opposition. How do we do that today? How many people have come up to you or they've come up to me and said, well, they say that this is a problem. They say. And when you ask them, okay, give me names. Well, I can't. I don't know exactly, but they say. People are overstating their opposition. Or maybe somebody comes to you and says, well, a group of us has gotten together. Okay, again, who are they? What's the purpose? What are you trying to say? A lot of times people try to overstate the opposition when they're trying to do against what the Lord wants. Or maybe the term, well, everybody says we ought to do this. Or really, who's everybody? That's what was happening here. They were getting together and they were saying, oh, Nehemiah, we've all, we've all decided you're wasting your time. i never forget somebody came to me, not at this church, but a long time ago. Somebody came to me at one of my churches and, and walked into my office and said, James, it's time for you to go. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, I said, I tell you what, when God tells me it's time to go, I will go. But that person used the same thing. Well, people are saying, everybody has said, they say, but all I knew at that point, and I'm not making myself to some spiritual giant because I was strong in her face, but I was shaking in my boots. But I said, you know what? When God tells me to go, I promise you, I will be the first one out the door. And it tore me up, but that person, I loved them. And I kept, you know, it was, it was painful, but I just kind of forgave them and, and moved on. And I'll never forget, years later, that person came to me and said, I want to thank you for the way you handled that situation because I was not in a good place. How did I do that? Because I didn't listen to the overstating of the opposition and I stayed true to what God has called me to do. You need to do the same thing. Because intimidators, they seek to stop the work of God regardless of the cost. We have groups like Freedom from Religious Foundation. We have uh, atheist groups. We have uh, evolutionists. We see here that the work of God, the Jews are God's chosen people, right? When we see what's unfolding in the biblical times and when we see what's unfolding overseas, the Bible is coming true every single day. We know that the Jews are God's chosen people and they are the vehicle that he has used to demonstrate to the world, knowledge of him and his plan for redemption. Romans 9, 4 through 5 say, There are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them this law, his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. Satan wants to stop you doing God's work and he will use any means and any person he can 
Well, as we look there, we see that what was Nehemiah's response? His response was for them to actually watch and pray. To watch and pray. For example, we see that there's the saying, the sword and the trowel. Do you know what a trowel is? A trowel is like a long, flat piece of metal with a handle on it that they use to, it's a masonry. Um, mason, is it masonry or masonry? Which one is it? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. The person lays bricks, all right, and mortar. They, they, they smooth out mortar with it. So they had a sword in one hand, and they had a trowel in the other hand. And he told them to watch and pray. Let's look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 21. It says, When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all of the people of Judah who were rebuilding the walls. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work. What we see here, that speed bumps are not forever. What do I mean by that? We see that Nehemiah told him to watch, and Nehemiah told him to pray. Folks, we have to be on our defense. But we have to depend on the Lord. We have to keep working. And Nehemiah, God gave him the wisdom to even come up with a communication plan. When you hear the trumpet, start fighting. Does that sound familiar? Let me tell you why speed bumps are not forever. Revelations chapter 11, verse 15, says that the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Our God-given task. Why are we to rebuild our lives? Why are we to rebuild the church? It is not so that we can get a front page on the Chamber of Commerce or that when people search for churches, our church will come up on Google first. It is not for our prestige. It is not for the beauty of the buildings. It is to prepare the world for the returning of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we have got to get on track with that. We have made our beliefs and we have made our churches and we have made our religions about us and it's not about us. We are to work on the wall and prepare for Jesus' return. And anything other than that is just a benefit. But we've lost our focus. Speed bump number three is discouragement. Discouragement. Verse 10 says, In Judah it was said, The strength of the laborer fails, since there is so much rubble. We we will never be able to build or rebuild the wall. You ever heard the term can't, never will? If we have a spirit of discouragement, if we walk around defeated, we are defeated. 
If we feel like, then what's the use? Well, then He's got us. Well, preacher, I hit, you're young and I've been to this church longer and you've been alive and we've tried all... These preachers have come up here and done these fancy things and we, you know, this is just what is what it is. That kind of attitude, we will never rebuild this church. Can't, never, will. External pressures often create internal pressures. For example, soldiers, police officers, firemen. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go into a situation where all you know what is breaking loose. And they can be able to to say in their mind, okay, this is where we start. And so by the time they end up, they have stabilized the situation. For example, a police officer goes to a crime scene where there is a gun. The first thing they want to do is get the gun, right? A fireman goes to a fire. The first thing they want to do is get the fire out, right? We cannot be discouraged. We have to understand that there is a crisis, and we have to attempt to stabilize it. When crisis hits our lives, folks, many of you in here today, like I said earlier, you look great. And I look great, hopefully. But we all have crisis that we deal with. We all have our crosses to bear. I understand that. But when crisis hits our lives, our God-given purpose and calling can either become determined or discouraged to do the work of the Lord. We can either become determined when speed bumps hit, or we can become discouraged. What flips the switch on that? Who or what your faith is in. Are you determined this morning, or are you discouraged? If you're discouraged, flip the switch. Find your face. Put your big boy pants on and walk. Put your big girl skirt on and walk. Because if we live a discouraged life, we are defeated. And if we are discouraged, that is not of God. And that's one of the Satan's most used weapon in his war chest. Discouragement makes us our own worst enemy. Are you discouraged this morning? Discouragers are often doubters and complainers. Do not let the discouragement rob you of the joy of serving God and claiming His blessings. And then we see our other speed bump. And this will be the last one in verses 11. Then you can go to 9 through 23 and then verse 15. In verse 11 we see that there is a fearful threat. Verse 11 says, Our enemies said they won't know or see anything until we are among them and can kill them and stop the work. What they said is, you go ahead and work on the wall, but you're not going to see us coming. They tried to use a fear tactic. Folks, fear is misplaced faith. Fear is also a good thing. If fear motivates you to depend upon the Lord and work for Him, that's a good thing. But if fear paralyzes you, He's got you dead in water. We see that Sanballat and his friends were uninformed and they were definitely overconfident and in opposition to God's will. If there is someone that is trying to make you fearful but they are not in God's will, 
I want you to understand they are overconfident and they are uninformed and their problem is with God, not you. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school. When people attack what you are doing for the Lord, they're not attacking you. They're attacking the Lord. You heard the old term, you don't want to poke a tiger with a stick. That's not grounds I would want to be on. God has got your back. We see that not only a fearful threat in verse 11, but in verses 19 through 23, we see a faith response to that fear. Nehemiah responds in faith. How is that? It says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally us there. Our God will fight for us. Remember that. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night in Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem, so that they can stand guard night and work by day. And I and my brothers, my men and the guards with me, never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. Speed bumps seek out others to share our faith with. Nehemiah found men to defend. Nehemiah found people to work. And in some cases, they did both. But we also see that being focused on God's purpose keeps us in a proactive mindset rather than a reactive mindset. Nehemiah said, oh no, they they sound like they're really dangerous. No, his faith was not in his people. His faith was not in the strength of his opposition. His faith was in God. Do not let your fear paralyze you. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. How was he able to do that? He had the proper focus. Nehemiah had the proper focus. Well, when we talk about fear, I think Jesus says it best. In Matthew 8, 26, he says, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the seas and there was a great calm. There is no fear in Christ if we would only trust him. God's will comes from his heart. We have no need to fear. It sounds like an oversimplification, but this is a a cliche that you've always heard, but it's the truth. If God has called you to it, God will see you through it. If we stay focused. Nehemiah 4.15 says, When our enemies heard that their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. It's almost like, you ever had that gnat that kind of, you know, has been buggy and all of a sudden it kind of flies on your arm and you're like, and you get it and you're like, yes! That's kind of what was happening here, you know, Sam was like, just aggravate Nehemiah and his workers at every moment. But then they finally realized that God threw the smackdown on them and they could just go back to work. But you know what? The criticism kept going. The ridicule kept going. The attempts of discouragement kept going. And they still scream loud at you and I today. You're not good enough. 
You're not smart enough. You're not young enough. You're not old enough. We've tried it before. Been there, done that. Why try? Give up. Those voices will not stop until Jesus Christ returns. We have got to be focused and not fearful. The late Dr. Alan Redpath explained why the Jews succeeded in getting their work done while defending themselves. And here's what they are. Number one, in verse six, it says they had a mind to work. Number two, they had a heart to pray in verse nine. Number three, they had an eye to watch in verse nine. And then they had an ear to hear in verse 20. Have you let the speed bumps of the enemy slow you down in your work for the Lord? Have you lost sight of the task that all believers have been given by God to share the gospel in whatever gifts and ways you have been given? As I've said before, not every one of you has got the gifts to go and, and, and stand on a street corner and, and, and let it rip. Some of you are not strong teachers. Some of you are stronger encouragers. However, God has gifted you. That's what you should use to spread the gospel. Have you been consumed by fear? Do you have a misplaced faith this morning? Cling to God this morning, and he will turn your speed bumps into opportunities. God will fight the battles you cannot fight if you will only let him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Nehemiah shows us that we need not be afraid and be fearful of our circumstances and those that would seek to intimidate, ridicule, and discourage us and to invoke fear. Because, Lord, you are greater than all of them. And, Lord, if there is someone here that has kind of given in to those temptations of fear, I would just pray that, Lord, you would remind them of your power, that you would renew their faith. There is someone here today that, that does not know your purpose for their life, that does not have a relationship with you, does not know that, that all of us that are called according to your purpose have a plan to share the gospel and prepare for your son's coming. If they'd like to get on board with that, if they would like to know the peace that we can know in the midst of the storm, may they come forward and they can have a relationship with you by placing their faith in you. I'll be glad to pray with them. Anyone here will. Maybe someone would like to pray at the altar or join the church, Lord. This invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?